Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Before we dive in, I want to thank our listeners, especially those who took the time to leave us a review. This one comes from Christine Handy One. This is my favorite podcaster. So thorough in interviews and the time marks are so helpful. Thank you so much, Christine Handy One. Not only for your five-star review, but also for being one of our most fantastic guests. On September 14, 2021, Dorothy O'Dell's father died from metastatic lung cancer. He was given two years to live, beat it the first time, and lived another year. Dorothy shares his story because it is one of love, hope, and strength. And this is very near and dear to my heart because I have lost two family members to lung cancer, my paternal uncle and my paternal grandfather. So Dorothy, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your and your father's story. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, definitely been a journey, that's for sure. Why don't you take us back to the beginning about when was your father diagnosed? Had he had any previous lung problems? Take us back there. Sure. He was originally diagnosed April of 2019, and uh, my dad has always had health problems, but to my knowledge, never cancer. Uh, he's had heart, stroke, um, things, diabetes, things like that. But, but the man also smoked two packs a day for over 50 years. So mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't a shock to me when I heard those words. And um, I was actually, the funny thing is I waited late in life to get to, to, to find the love of my life. So I got engaged November 2018 and April is when we got the news. So it was, I was planning a wedding and then this bomb dropped in my lap and um, it was nothing for my parents to be at the hospital. So when, I, and I usually texted my dad every morning and I said, Hey, how are you? And he never answered me right away, which I kind of felt weird. And so then when he finally did, he goes, I'm at the hospital. And then he said, he's been at the hospital for seven hours. I said, well, why are you still there? Cause I know his patience is like nothing. So for, <laughs> so for him to stay at the hospital for seven hours is, was a miracle. So he said, well, you know, my chest hurts and I just really, I want to get it checked out. And, uh, I said, okay. So he said, I'll text you when I get out of here. So I never heard from him. And I had a networking meeting that night and I thought, what the heck? I didn't hear back from him, which is unusual. So they're just wrapping up the network meeting and I texted him. I said, you never texted me back. What's going on? I don't want to have this conversation by text. (gasps) No, that's what he wrote in the text? That's what he wrote in the text. And I'm just like, my heart sunk. So I excused myself from the table. I went out to the hallway and I phoned him and I said, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, the x-ray shows something um, fuzzy. It could be a faulty x-ray, but they're going to do another x-ray to find out. And 
and but they do they show something on the lung x-ray and he said i said well i'm surprised you stayed so long he says well i had a dream the night before that i was dying of cancer and what? that's what he told me he said i had a dream the night before that i was dying of cancer so that's what ma- it scared me enough to make me stay and he had told me that he went in with chest pains because he moved my grandmother's bed because my grandmother was living with them at the time. And that's when he started getting chest pains. So, yeah. So when they tell me they have chest pains, for me, it's no big deal because I've dealt with that my entire life with those two. So I just didn't think anything of it. That's why it didn't throw me off. So when he told me, though, I said, so I kept calm. And I said, so what's the next step? And he said x-ray and then they're you know we'll go from there so you know by the time by the time the the doctors decide that you know they're gonna put everything in place it was two months before he had some more testing done and yeah and so it wasn't a faulty x-ray we were um there was a doctor here in windsor ontario that we went to see i forget his name now um and i went with them and so he says, yeah, the, the tumor on his lung is the size of my dad's fist. So it was already pretty big. And so, what? Yeah. Oh my God. So through this entire time, I'm keeping calm because I'm the oldest and everybody comes to me and I've always been the one to deal with all this. And I just Is your think, mom okay. still alive at this point? My mom's still alive. Yep. How is and she doing? She was scared. She was really scared and she was trying to keep upbeat for my dad. And, but she, she was scared, but she never missed an appointment, never missed anything like that. So that doctor introduced us to the Windsor Cancer Clinic, which, um, it took us a little bit of time to get into there. I would say at least another month to two. And then you go in there. And for anybody who is, they don't, they didn't prepare us well. We didn't realize it would be a three hour, um, a three hour appointment. So we walked in there and of course I went with them to that one as well. So you, we we met with the nurse first. And so the nurse asks you like a laundry list of questions. How long have you known this? Do you know what your doctor told you? All these in my opinion, stupid questions, but we answered them. And so they had already had the results of all the scans and all that that had already been done. So they knew what they were dealing with. Then the doctor comes in and, and asks the same list of questions and trying to make sure, I guess that we're all on the same page. So my mom's there, my dad's there and I'm over on the other side and like I had worked myself up pretty well. Like I can hide my stress and I can hide my anxiety pretty good when I'm in the height and just need to get through things. Right. And I was literally almost sick to my stomach all day. And, um, but I didn't let it show. So in that appointment, first of all, they say, well, you need, um, you definitely need radiation. So we're going to, she was the, the oncologist for the radiation. And then you know, we're also going to get you in touch with the um, the other oncology doctor for chemo. We want to do a chemo radiation cocktail mix is what we want to do. But we need we need four weeks to put this together. 
He's got. So I want to back up for a second. Did he yeah. have an actual diagnosis? Did they tell you what stage it was? Was surgery never an option? Okay, so my dad had a rheumatic fever when he was little, and okay. so he is highly allergic to anesthetic. So when they did the biopsy of the tumor, we almost lost him because he lost like six hours of his life that he doesn't even remember. And thank God my mom's uh. brother was with him at the time. So surgery was out of the question, although I was at one point willing to chance it because I'm thinking we only had a 50-50 chance with the radiation. So mm -hmm. I'm like, so she's telling us all this when she said, it, is there a DNR? to be put on my dad. And I looked at my parents and both my parents were like, I knew what the answer was. Right. So they, my mom looked at me and I said, if there is zero chance and he's a vegetable, you let him go. If there is a chance that he's not going to be a vegetable, then you revive. So they, the doctor looked at my parents and my parents says, yes. So my mom says, you know, thank you. Then the doctor left and my mom says, thank you for saying that. And all I did was just let this big breath out. And my mom's like, well, what was that about? I said, because I've been holding this inside for like all day now. Like I, it's, it's kind of like, it wasn't a relief, but it was just like, okay, now we, ha we finally have answers. We know what we have to deal with. And she says, well, what are you so upset about? <laughs> and I just looked at her. I'm like, what are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> really she did and i just said to her i looked at her and i said you don't think this doesn't affect me like my dad's the only guy in the world that listens to me i talked to my dad pretty much every night on my way home just to say hi i've texted him throughout the day just to see how they are he's the only man that i can have a conversation with that isn't gonna shush me and say hey you know i don't want to talk about that because a lot of guys don't want to talk about it. But my dad and I have talked about everything. Actually, I know, I know more about the birds and the bees from my dad than my mother. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the relationship that we had. And it's always been that Aww. way. So then that upset my mother. Because I didn't say it the most diplomatic way. And uh, so I'm crying. She's crying. The nurse walks in. And she's thinking that we're crying because of the diagnosis, which was probably, which was part of it. But I'm also, you know, like, because my mom couldn't get through her head when I was going through. But that's okay. We, we made it through there after three grueling hours. And then we have to wait four weeks for them to put a schedule together to, um, to get all that going. And of course, that's when the pandemic's brewing. What was your dad's reaction? I mean, he's the one with the diagnosis. So I'm just curious. He, okay. So to my appearances, uh, to what he showed me, it was, I could tell he was in his head a little bit. So I actually went down there. They live about an hour away from where I live. And I, I said to my mom, I gave my mom a heads up. I said, I'm coming into town. I'm taking that out for breakfast. There's the two of us because some of his texts were not positive. And meaning, you know, I wanted to make sure his head was in the right space because I think you can cure pretty much anything with the right positive mindset. So I, he says, well, you know what? I said, where's your head at right now? Cause the texts are not coming through that you think that you're gonna beat this. And uh, he says, well, if, you know, if I'm gonna fight it with everything in me, 
and I'll give it my best shot and I'll do exactly what the doctor tells me to do. I'm like, okay. So that he, he put up a good front, but what I didn't realize was, so I was supposed to get married October of that same year and he had to do, it ended up six weeks of radiation every day, 15 minutes for six weeks and then chemo once a week in between those radiation treatments. And he didn't tell me that he had a conversation with my mom's brother that if he died, that he wanted my uncle to walk me down the aisle. And no one told me that conversation. And so my brother was in that conversation and he got mad at my, my mom and my dad and said, no, if anybody walks her down the aisle, it's me. But I didn't have hear that conversation until after my dad died. So I thought he was all positive all the time. And there was times that I said, well, I had people telling me you should move the up, up the date of the wedding. And I'm like, but if we still have it in October, that gives him a month to recover from his last treatment and then he should be fine. So that's what happened. I, I had a conversation with my parents. My parents said, nope, do not change the date of your wedding. My dad was so looking forward to it that there was no way that I think that's what he actually lived for. I think that's why the oh, diagnosis yeah. after the last chemo, like we, we went in as a family to get, you know, is the chemo, did the chemo work? And um, we were told at that time that he was, the tumor was shrunk. And so we were like, yes, he beat, I have a video of him beating the drum. I have all of that. Oh. He had a t-shirt done up, a friend of mine does t-shirts. And he said, you know, I kicked cancer's ass. And on the back, thank you to both the doctors. He had this nursing staff signed them. He had the doctor sign them. And so we thought we were good. We thought we were golden. So he got to walk you down the aisle. He got to walk me down the aisle. And that was... How was that? Oh, my God. <laughs> there wasn't a dry <laughs> eye in the house. Nothing about me is traditional. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I wanted my dad there. That was the most traditional part of my parents and, and everything like that. But we didn't have a big wedding. So <laughs> he walks me down the aisle. And I, I walked down the aisle to... Um, I got this feeling by Justin Timberlake. So we're dancing down the aisle and we get to the front and he, he, and the pastor's like, who gives this man away? And my dad says, my wife and I do. And then he just stood there. I'm like, dad, you can go to the side now. He goes, I know, but I don't want to. Oh no, really? Oh, that is so sweet. So he waited a minute and then he gave me a kiss and then he went and sat down. Yeah. But no, he did good welcomed my husband to the family and then we had the father-daughter dance and there was not a dry eye in the entire room <laughs> what'd you guys dance to um i loved her first it was the, yeah he picked that song out so that's amazing so he gets to walk you down the aisle yeah and he would not be the first father i know who beat a cancer diagnosis to walk his daughter down the aisle and and then what happens? And are we in fall of 2020 at this point? Fall of 2020. Yes. October 26th okay. uh, of okay. 2020. So life went on as normal. And then you have your six month checkup. And in this- How was he feeling? I mean, was the pain gone? Did he have any other- You know, he had issues? zero pain. 
zero pain. He actually said several times, which I could kick him in the butt for, you know, I kind of feel cheated because you look at the cancer board and you see all these people and they look like they're dying. And I feel amazing. I feel 100% great. Nothing's wrong. He never threw up. He, the only thing he had was, um, after a while he had radiation burns. Um, and if he's Scottish, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was the only problem he had. He, he told the doctor, I kind of feel cheated because I feel really good. I, I feel like, you know, I don't have cancer. I said, please don't ever say that to me again. Like, do not <laughs> ever say that to me again. And I said, like, get it out of your vocabulary because I'm a believer that, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Well, he wasn't so lucky <laughs> the second time. <laughs> So when did it come back and how did he even know it was back? Or was it just like you said, that six month checkup or what happened? It was a six month checkup and um, he was having a lot of pain in his uh, stomach area. And it was, but it was, it was found on the six month and it was, it came back, the cancer came back with a vengeance and it had spread from his lung to his liver. And you, the tumor was massive. It was stage four. So, which makes me think that it was not caught. And I'm pretty, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that he had it back when he had the lung cancer, but it went undetected because you can't go, you, you can't go from stage, like nothing to stage four in my opinion, but I'm again, I'm not a doctor. This is just a daughter telling her father's story. Um, and he was in so much pain. He would be doubled over and no matter what, like, uh, that time they couldn't do, they couldn't do radiation. They could only do chemo. And it was a high potent, really high potent chemo to try and kill it. And, um, the doctor said, I, and I really hate when they tell you this, well, you know, it grew to there, but you know, we could, we'll try this chemo. And if that doesn't work, then we'll try the, we'll try something else, but we really got to we got to do this, but we'll only, we'll do, yeah, he got them every three weeks. We'll do three months and see how it goes. Um, so that, I don't know, six months, whatever the six months after October is. And so he had his treatments and it just wasn't working. And he would get so sick after his chemo mm. that it wasn't, he would not be good for three days afterwards. And I said, see, aren't you? I said, I told you not to say that because now it came back and look at this, right? And he's just, yes, I know, I know. Like I had prayer chains all over the place going. I, I'm very strong in my faith because I mean, that has gotten him through dialysis. The only man on the planet I know that had, uh, was on dialysis for his kidneys and got off of it and without a kidney transplant. That's rare. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I, I was just praying. I was not giving into that. My dad was going to be gone. I just, I just wasn't. And I can see him getting How frailer. How was your dad? He died at 69. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So very young in my opinion. <laughs> um, but I mean, the man was in chronic pain from his uh, degenerative disc that he had and, and things like that. He had other, and he had back pain issues and, um, so yeah, it, it's to see him though in that pain, I've, I've seen him cry himself to sleep with his back pain before, but this 
was unbearable. The at least oh. at least with the back pain, did, he got some relief. Did they not give him anything for the pain, or was it not working, or what? They gave him some stuff, but towards the end, I don't. And this is what really ticked me off because we had a. I was sat and emerged with him. Um, I call it the nine day stretch because I watched him die for nine days. And, uh, so when I came back from my husband and I went on vacation in August and the doctor had said, I took him for his last appointment with the oncologist on the Tuesday, the last Tuesday of August. And I, he said, okay, you know, we're all, we're going to keep you comfortable. There's nothing more we can do for you. Nothing's working. The, uh, immune therapy is not working. The chemo's working. Not Nothing's working. We'll give you, you know, another six months if, uh, to live. But right now we're just keeping you comfortable. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, at this point, the man was skin and bones because he was wouldn't eat because he was in so much pain. So I took him for that. They wouldn't let me go into the, the um, chemo with him because at that time... COVID. Here in Canada with COVID, you just couldn't do it. Um, so I wheeled them in there and then I, my, I helped my mom with that. And then I said to my mom, like, I got to go cause we got to hit the road for vacation. So something told me to stop on the way back from like, I had my stepson and I had my husband and I'm like, I said, you know, Joe, we just got to stop and see my parents. Just, it's, we're not going to stay long, but something's telling me to, to stop in. And thank God I did because that was the Sunday. And from the Tuesday I'd seen him to the Sunday, he had deteriorated so bad he could barely walk. Aww. So he was sitting in the front room and just basically his underwear and his t-shirt. And I didn't realize what I was going to walk into or else I would have just had them stay outside. So I helped him into, um, I helped him back into bed. And I said to my mom, I'll be back the next day. I said, without you know, without my son and without my husband. And, uh, I went into work bright and early, told them what was happening and said that, you know, I, I need to spend what little time I had with my dad. And they were thankfully okay with that. And then it was just like the downhearts journey after that. It was, it was horrible. How much longer? He, that, that was Tuesday. He died the following Tuesday. Hmm. And the Wednesday though of that week was the worst day of my life. We had a friend, a family friend that was a PS, retired PSW and they were supposed to give my dad to answer your other question. When I was at the hospital trying to figure out some kind of pain management before his last oncology appointment, the doctor refused yeah. to give him anything. He said, this is cancer related. I'm not doing, giving you anything. You have to contact your oncologist. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. He refused to give. The man is withering, bent over on the bed, withering in so much pain, almost screaming. And the doctor wouldn't do anything for him. He said, you need to get to your oncology appointment uh, the next day. So I'm not going to keep you overnight because I want you to get to that appointment. Meanwhile, they already had the, because they did another MRI and the cancer had spread everywhere. Um. And then they told us, you know, he's not leaving the hospital until we get hospice set up. That never happened. They kicked him out because there was a case of COVID and said, you know, I don't want him to catch COVID here at the hospital. 
So we're going to send him home, but we'll hook you up with hospice. That never happened. We kept calling and calling and calling. We were given a nurse to come to the house and thank God for that nurse. Because when he came in, he was just like, well, first of all, he says, well, according to this chart, because you have to go through different stages. If you're in a coma, then, or close, to, if you only have two weeks to live, then you can go into hospice. But you have, there's this certain criteria here in Canada. And you basically have to almost be in a coma before you can, before they will That's admit stupid. you. stupid. Oh, yeah. That's it, stupid. So then they asked my dad, my mom, they t- were talking to my mom. And my, of course, by this time, my mom is like, she's crossed between wanting her husband at the hospital so she doesn't have to care for him. And wanting him at home so she could be there for him. So there's, she's playing with that devil's advocate, right? Um, So I, and my brother and I were not allowed in the hospital. Um, Oh God, because of COVID. Yeah, because of COVID. Oh geez, so you couldn't even be there advocating on behalf of your dad. No. So, and my mom is not the greatest, was, had a record of not being the greatest level-headed in these kind of situations. However, that quickly changed. Um, and she became, I, I stepped back and allowed her, you know, her role. Um, and she took over magnificently. We were always there, my brother and I making help, you know, reinforcing her decisions. And she was like back and forth. And, and so, but this time he's, he was deteriorating so rapidly. The nurse said, well, if you want, I can get a hospital bed in here for the front room because by this point we couldn't even he couldn't get out of bed to go to the bathroom. And the last time, like he almost, he almost fell onto the floor because my mom couldn't hold him up. Like he was dead weight. Um, Even though he was only 150 pounds, actually probably less than that. They said they didn't weigh him at the morgue, but I can tell you it was probably close to a hundred pounds what he was, but it was like dead weight and her trying to do that. And um, so anyways, so we finally got a hospital bed and we just let him stay in the front room and, and we were there. Like my, I was there at least nine hours every day. Uh, my brother was there when he could be, my mom was there around the clock, but you, there's only so much you can handle of watching somebody suffer like that. And, uh, we took turns giving this medication. We made sure that there was no way in hell he was being pain. Even the little like whimper, I'm like, give him another one. Give him another one. Give him another one. Uh, by this point, it doesn't matter. Like, we didn't kill him. It was the cancer that had killed him. But we were just making sure that he was comfortable. Um, but of course, here you have to keep track of it. So they knew how much we gave him and 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 stuff like that. So, but yeah, it was. My mom and I just happened to. Um, my mom says I need to get out of here, and we we're gonna go get a, a Johnny shirt because. <laughs> It was a chore trying to get the t-shirt up over his head and mm-hmm. and everything like that. So we thought if we went and got a Johnny shirt, at least he would be more comfortable and the nurses could, you know, bath him or do whatever they needed to do and it'd be easier. I don't even think we left the house for 15 minutes. I'm getting a phone call from the nurse. How long are you going to be? I'm like, why? We just left. She goes, um, he slipped into a coma. I'm like, oh, oh shit. So gosh. there was a DNR on him. So the nurse though is like tapping the bed. Hey, Don uh, or Mr. Graham, are you okay? You know, and trying not reviving him, but seeing if there was any right. consciousness. 
So my mom, I, I rushed home. I'm like, mom, just grab what you got, pay for it. Let's get the heck back. Cause you know, something's going on. So it gets there and he was kind of, he had come back too. Um, but yeah, he had slipped into a coma. And so the nurse says, yeah, he's not going to last the night. So we called everybody and we're like, if you want to see him one last time, you better come. So Dorothy, what did you think when the nurse told you that your father was going to be gone that night? Part relief and part panic, mm. to be honest. I mean, I didn't want to see him struggle anymore. And I didn't want to see him in pain anymore. And if I would have had Jack Vorkian's number, <laughs> I would have said, come on, Jack, you know, end this, end this pain for him. And it's um, ironic that each day was like, oh, he's still here. And in that time, in that stretch, the caregiver that, uh, the family caregiver that was helping us, it was her anniversary. And then it was my nephew's birthday. And then in, he died on my stepson's birthday. Oh. And like I said, the Wednesday was the worst night of my life. I finally ended up going into my parents' room at three o'clock in the morning. I didn't go home that night. And I just cried myself to sleep. And I called my husband the next day. I said, I can't take any more of this. I don't have any clothes. I spent the night because that was supposed to be it. Um, and my husband actually took the day off. Well, he went in, fi fixed up his guys because he's a super. He was a supervisor at that time. Fixed up his guys, came and brought me a change of clothes and uh, mm. support. Um, and yeah, my husband wouldn't come in. He's just like, I'm not going in there. <laughs> Uh, he, he doesn't handle that well, but he ended up, uh, because, you know, that was the Wednesday and then he passed away, um, the following Tuesday at 1253 AM. And I, when I left, um, because that the Monday night I have my own show to do. So I'm like, I got to go home and do my show. Like the show must go on, you know, he's, right. he's still here. So obviously he's, he's, the man had so much love and he did not want to leave his family. And that's the only reason why he was hanging on. I know for a fact, that was the only reason why he was hanging on for so long. And, um, I said, if anything changes though, I'll be right back. I'm only an hour away. You know, I'll come back. Did my show. And, um, my, my mom's, like, well, if anything happens, do you want to be called? I said, I've said my goodbyes five times. I'm like, just call me, oh. call me, uh -huh. call me when, you know, it's done. My brother's like, you don't want to see his last breath. I said, no, I've seen him in enough agony. I'm done. Um, yeah. if not, I'll be here in the morning. If I don't hear from you, I'll be here in the morning. And I said, but if he dies at midnight, you call it for the 13th, the, the, on the, the Monday, you don't call it for the 14th because the 14th was my son's, my stepson's birthday. And, uh, so I got the call, of course, at 1230 and, uh, my brother's like, you better come quick. So I'm like, okay. I woke my husband up. We went and he passed away 20 minutes before I got there. And I was okay with that. By the time I got there, they had cleaned him up. Um, but we had told my, my stepson still thinks it was the day before and that's for him. I'm just going to keep it that way. How do you think your experience as a caregiver, and even as your mom, how do you think that experience is different than from what your dad went through? 
Well, there's no doubt in my mind that he, he had it worse than we did because, you know, living with a disease that, you know, it's going to kill you, but you don't know when you have an idea and you know, you feel like crap, but you're supposed to put on a happy face to make sure the rest of your family feels okay. Um, I think that was his interpretation of it. Um, and for us, for me anyways, um, always having always been the caregiver my entire life, it seems because my parents, like I said, have had several health issues. It was, but this one I have to say was the hardest. This one, um, the cancer clinic that we have here is, was phenomenal and actually said that if anybody wanted counseling to, to sign up for it and it would, it was free. Um, so I took advantage of it and I was the only one that took advantage of it. And I, oh my gosh, that's amazing though. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, and because I had been through, I've, we almost lost my dad. Like I said, when he was going through dialysis and, and his kidney failure. And I thought that was hard, but nothing compared to this. And, and then, you know, the pressures of having a wedding and the stress of where I work is very high. Um, you know, I, I work for uh, a place where the commodity is time uh, on time constraints. So if you don't get it out and we lose, we lose that route, lots of money. So you have to, you have to constantly, everybody's on edge to keep going and going and going. Um, so high stress job, high stress, because I, you know, my dad's diagnosed with cancer and trying to plan a wedding all at the same time. So I fully took advantage of her and I was so glad that I did. She gave me, you know, tools to use in when I was at my highest stress level, but then I lost her because she went to a different hospital. So she says, well, I can get you another, I can get you another, um, social worker. I'm like, no, I just built the last 40 years of my guts to you. I don't want to talk right? to anybody else. <laughs> I know. That's okay. So true, right? So true. It's like you just don't even want to start over. It's, yeah. If you could hold on to one memory of you and your dad, what would it be and why? Wow, there's, lot, there's lots of good memories. Um I think part to the words, the end of his life, definitely, definitely my wedding and that last, and that dance with him and I only because it was just, you're going to make me cry just thinking of it. <laughs> um, I don't know. It just seemed magical. I guess maybe it was because I knew that his life was um, on borrowed time. And the funny thing is when he was first diagnosed and we were talking to that doctor and we got the first diagnosis of two years, uh, if everything goes well there was something in my spirit. They said two years or six months just, and I, I kept on hearing the word six months, six months, six months. And I was just like, no. And I defied that voice inside my head that said that. And I refused to see it. Now looking at the pictures, um, my, my birthday is July 5th. So that same day we put my grandmother into a nursing home and hit, they took me out to lunch afterwards. And so I have, I took a picture, something told me, get up, we went out to um, the dock and we had the uh, soft stuff at the charcoal pit, got some burgers and went out at, to, um, to buy the water because the water is our happy place. And something said, take a picture of the three of you. 
So I did. And I took a bunch of pictures that day and they were my favorite. But then afterwards, I'm like, my God, he looks so skinny. He looked like he looked mm. like death in that picture. Um, but I was choosing not to see it and choosing to believe that he would come out of this because he had come out of so much stuff. Like, I swear, my dad was like a cat. <laughs> had nine lives. And yes. I've seen him at death's door several times. So I thought, no, he's divided too many times. He's going to get through this. And nope, he didn't. So, yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I really am. How, how is your brother doing? And how is your mom doing? My, so my mom, actually, like I said, she, she went from being completely cared for to because my dad did everything for her they were married they were together for 50 years married for 47 and she was completely devastated and she got into some dep uh, a depressive mode and thank god we caught it in time because she was lying to me at first and i could tell she was off and i kept pushing her and i've been pushing her for years to go to counseling because you know she she just has like 45 years of suppressed stuff just sitting there and she won't go get help. And I've done everything but be on my knees begging to for her to get help and when I'm ready, when I'm ready. But, you know, she really, um, to the point where that that week that he was passing away, we, we had, her and I went in and made arrangements because we, we weren't fooling ourselves. We knew this was the end, even though we would, didn't want to believe it. And so I went with her and she made all the arrangements herself. I was just there as a backup and she asked me my opinion, but, and I gave it, but she made all the decisions, which was completely not like my mother. Um, and she has really been, um, the stuff that comes out of her mouth kind of shocks me. Like she's, she's really like, <laughs> seriously, like she'll when i'm having a down day she'll like lift me up and that's never been the case Aww. before so it's it's How interesting i know and well you know when you when i allowed myself to step back and not be the enabler they stepped up and my brother yeah. stepped up in a huge way too because he was never he never would go to the hospital it was always me that would be there and so that last week he was there too and he was there my dad's last breath and, um, he, the, the hard part is my brother's birthday is June 19th. His best friend's birthday is June 19th. His best friend died of cancer. And so he died, I think 10 days prior to their birthday. So he had to bury his best friend, watch his best friend go, go through cancer. It was pancreatic cancer. Not even... So that was June. My dad died September of the following year. And he watched my dad go through the same thing. My brother on the outside is handling it well, but I know in the inside he's not, but he would never say, okay, I'm ready for help. Yeah. Um, he, he handles it otherwise, different ways. And, um, but he, it's like, it's brought us together better closer which i never thought possible and i always thought my mom would go first so uh i never in a million years dreamt that it would be this way and that we would still that we would stay together but yeah it's it's been 
it's been interesting. <laughs> and you got your mom help. Yes. Oh. Is there anything you wish you had known at the very beginning when your father was first diagnosed? Um, to tell you the truth, the way it all went is the way I think it was supposed to be. Um, I, I'm just really glad that I was there for his first treatments. They allowed, you know, that was before COVID really hit. So I, I was blessed to be in with that. Um, and I just wish that I wouldn't have listened to what the doctors had said where, you know, I don't like it when they give you a timeline. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> give yeah, you, give no. you false hope. And, um, I guess that would be the only thing that I wish I would have known. Dorothy, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare where you live in Canada, what would it be and why? Well, I would definitely find a way to get the, the time shorter, uh, on you know your first diagnosis to treatment um, because from first diagnosis to treatment well that was April we started treatment I want to say three months down the road that's a long time you know that is a long that's time. a long time between first diagnosis to to that like that needs to be shortened up uh, how to do that I don't know um, but there's there's got to be a way to 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 shorten that up. <laughs> You know, and I think it'd be really easy to say it's the single payer system, not that I'm going to get political or anything, but I've heard every story imaginable and it it's just depends. Even here in the U.S., it could take that long yeah. or it, or not. It just, there's so many factors that, that come into play. Um, so I, I don't think it's, it's only because right. the single payer system, but. Well, and here we have free healthcare. And I say quotation marks for <laughs> she's got air quotes for people listening <laughs> air quotes because yeah. here in Canada, we're taxed 13% on pretty much everything we buy. So it's not free healthcare. It's we're taxed right. to death to get yeah. the healthcare, but then we're, exactly. but we're still sitting in hospitals for seven to eight hours at a time. So yes, technically it's free, but, um, but you pay for it. But like we pay said. for it. It's not, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's lighten things up. Yeah. Are you ready for Thriver Rapid Fire? Yes. Let's do this. Okay. All right. I think I know the answer to the first one, but we're going to go for it. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beach Boys. Yay. What's one word that best describes you? Funny. <laughs> <laughs> Before you die, what's the last song you want to hear? Oh. Free Falling by Tom Petty. Oh, good song. Good song. Last meal you want to eat? Steak and baked potatoes. Oh, love it. And the last person or people you want to see? My family. My husband, my mom, my brother. And <laughs> the last words you will speak? Give them something to talk about. Like what? Okay, so Bonnie Raitt's song, Let's Give Them Something to Talk About, is one of my favorite songs. So live your life in such a way that they'll talk about you. Because if they talk about you, then you're you're obviously doing something right. Yeah, yeah. It, you Absolutely. Know? I like it. And aside from Cancer You, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? Um... The, the hospital that we had, the cancer clinic that we had in Windsor, Ontario, phenomenal. They had great resources. 
um, I'm not sure if that's in every hospital, but from what we experienced, I would definitely say, you know, tap into, into them. They were great. And I would echo that. Just ask, just ask because many major hospitals, especially NCI centers here in the States have those resources, but they kind of forget to mention them. You know, they forget. When we left the first appointment, we had a binder that was like an inch and a half thick and with all the information on there. And my dad could have went for counseling as well, but he chose not to. Uh, so that was just his choice. But yeah, we, he relied heavily on us to, to, you know, get him. And I'm sure there are things that he didn't even tell us because he didn't want to worry us. Um, but yeah, definitely ask, use the resources that are yeah. given. <laughs> yes. And ask, just ask. Yeah. Yeah. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Definitely LinkedIn is my number one. So it's Dorothy Ann Elizabeth, no, Dorothy Ann Graham Odell on LinkedIn. Um, or definitely you can email me at GrahamDorothy408 at gmail.com. Okay, awesome. We'll put that in the workshop and show notes. And I echo you on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Love, love, love. Yes, yes. Dorothy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your and your dad's story in this. My pleasure. It was, it was fun. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.